Shot Reverse Shot, a podcast in which we attempt to talk about films within the confines of a particular theme that changes from episode to episode. I am Joe Gastineau, hello, and uh, joining me via satellite is Ed Davis. How the devil are you, sir? Hello, uh, I'm doing very well. Um, it's I've just had a thunderstorm here, so I'm hoping that doesn't come back and ruin our recording. <laughs> I think they call that in literature pathetic fallacy, don't they, Ed? You you would know more than me. Oh, it's when the um, uh, weather conditions reflect the emotional state of the characters involved. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm so stormy today. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, or I hope we can. <laughs> yeah. Um, we are going to talk this week. Um, we're going to carry on our series of the Ages of Man. Regular listeners might remember uh, we started this off um, with childhood uh, a few months ago. Was it? Yeah, I think it was in. May, maybe even going back as far as April. Yeah, it was one of them things that I was pretty sure we'd never go back to and do again. But here we are. This is proof of it. This is our second attempt here because the first time we did it was beset with technical problems. Plus, as well, it was about two in the morning and I was gibbering like a fucking loon. And none of what I was saying was making sense. So we are talking about adolescence this time around. Teenagers, you know, the kind of spotty oiks uh, that we've all been. And um, a kind of a rich vein of cinematic... Um, greatness really um, and it's interesting an interesting fact that both cinema and the idea of a teenager the concept of adolescence are both relatively new things because cinema is a uh, invention that was kind of late 1800s so um, you know the newest art form I suppose and the teenager is a relatively new concept it didn't exist uh, before the kind of 1940s 50s but it's kind of an odd to think that there was no age between childhood and adult back then but then many many socio-economic factors um, meant that we kind of this this kind of uh, demographic was born in the 50s and it was born out of many things like you know uh, parents who grew up in the depression the world war ii um who were having kids in the post-war economic boom wanted their kids to be better educated and kind of better cared for so we found all of a sudden found this kind of demographic like a set of people who could be marketed towards and be kind of written about and talked about and and talked to uh, and would also have a voice and cinema with the kind of new medium that was springing up around then and kind of just coming out of its own golden age uh, its own teenage years i guess um was a perfect medium for that so that long-winded waffly introduction from me and there, i had loads more to say in there as well i'm just cutting that down um is is film the definitive medium for chronicling adolescence? I think it largely is, although there are some examples of sort of literature and, and plays that probably do it as well. I think, you know, if, if you're looking for one of the sort of the really definitive uh, chronicles of being a teenager, you know, you look at Catcher in the Rye, which famously has never been filmed, although mm. it has pretty much set the standard for all depictions of kind of difficult wayward teenagers in pretty much every medium um that's kind of one of the early real depictions that sort of aimless youth mm-hmm. um and i think you can see i know there's a lot of crossover in those sort of things because obviously if you think about that kind of idea of sort of the youth who sort of grow up uh, have their own sort of money and everything and their own jobs 
but don't really know what to do with their lives. You can see something in sort of Billy Liar, which is obviously started out as a play and then became a classic film. And obviously there, the ages are slightly, maybe slightly later than teen years, but it's, a, it's the same sort of sense of ennui and aimlessness, which uh, kind of you would associate with the sort of the teenage years. But yeah, I think you're you're right in that the majority of the sort of the great works about teenagers seemed to come from cinema and, you know, starting with the 50s. Although some of the early films about teenagers, there's a certain sort of reactionary quality to them, mm. would you say? Yeah, I, I think there was, because I, I think people didn't know what to, to kind of think about teenagers and everything seemed kind of new and kind of scary. They kind of, they dressed the same and that was kind of something that was never really thought about, that that, that people of a certain age would you dress kind of similarly and the subculture started to form and rock and roll was coming around and I think it was seen by a lot of people as something to be kind of uh, scared of and I think those kind of early films I mean the obvious one to talk about is the wild one uh, the Marlon Brando kind of film where he's a kind of motorbike uh, kind of gangly I've never actually seen the wild one is it is it as kind of ridiculous as it looks well, Brando's obviously really, really great in it, although he was, I think he was probably a few years past being a teenager at that point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is a little bit of that sort of thing. There's kind of, I think it's an interesting example of a film that tries to demonise a certain thing or to kind of prey upon the fears of, of that kind of, of a subculture, but kind of also still makes it look cool. Mm. You know, it's kind of hard to dispel the allure of being in a gang and being a biker and everything. Yeah, he also has that, you know, iconic line, which is, uh, what are you rebelling against? And he says, what have you got? Um, which, uh, you know, is kind of fundamental to the, the teen movie or films about adolescence, which is, the, you know, the, one of the most striking themes of these films is rebellion of one sort or another. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say so. I think it comes out of that sense of of aimlessness, you know, of having this sort of period in your life where you're not a child but you're not yet an adult and you've kind of got this sort of sense that you're soon going to have to join this adult world but you look around and you don't really kind of respond to it you feel alienated from it and you try and strike out I think that that's something that a lot of teenagers can relate to and you see that being expressed a lot in films where people are you know the sort of a, a a great one because it has rebel in the title would be rebel without a cause which kind of sums up that idea in its title mm. <laughs> and then carries it through in its execution which is all about a young man who sees himself completely kind of separate from the world he views his uh, dad as kind of this person who can't really uh, match his idea of masculinity and but he also doesn't really seem to fit in with any of the people his own age and he you know as he says he's a rebel without a cause he's striking out at everyone and anything and the world around him but for no kind of particular reason he's just doing it because he doesn't really want to be a part of it mm. and we we see things like that dealt with in different ways the idea of rebellion um i mean in the 70s there was a couple of really great kind of uh gang subculture films kind of thinking um walter hills the warriors which is a great one although it's a bit more um I don't know whether you could call it camp nowadays. There is certainly an element to it, although it's still a fucking awesome film. Um, yeah. And also uh, Philip Kaufman's The Wanderers, which is, uh, I think, that's slightly more realistic. Um, but there, there is a supernatural element to The Wanderers, isn't there, I guess, at the end? It's quite strange. Yeah, and also the, the whole sequence where they're 
the one gang member who gets killed who's like out late at night and all the other gangs kind of materialize mm. out of the darkness and kind of chase him up that ladder and then he falls to his death there's there's kind of a yeah there is kind of a, a weird supernatural element in particular yeah that final fight has a certain degree of uh, sort of supernatural to it but yeah, yeah by and large that one is more about the actualities of being a teenager in the 50s as seen through Richard Price who, who wrote the screenplay on the book Mm. And then the kind of rebellion takes form in the 80s, a kind of slightly more kind of cheeky rebellion, the kind of uh, breakfast club or I suppose the kind of uh, archetypal rebel from the 80s would be someone like Ferris Bueller, I guess? Yeah, or, or you. I think there's also kind of a darker strain throughout all these things where the rebellion isn't just kind of like saying fuck you to authority, it's actually kind of committing acts of violence you know i think you can see that in if obviously mm-hmm. this is a very big example of that um or you know if you go to the 80s heathers is a, yep. that's a very strong aspect of that is you know taking the sense of rebelling against what is considered proper in society by you know murdering people mm-hmm. in a darkly comic way mm. Oh, in, a, in an absolutely hilarious way as well but yeah that's uh, a good example i think those are, those are examples of how rebellion, you know, it takes multiple forms. There's rebellion against authority figures in the shape of, you know, teenagers, but also, or in sort of West Side Story, you know, there's kind of that sense of forming a gang and rebelling against the the authority by making fun of Officer Krupke, but that's in a very cheeky way. Yeah, well. is that a callback to uh, the ultimate kind of teenage uh, rebels, Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we'll probably talk a bit more about Romeo and Juliet uh, later. Obviously, West Side Story is, is based on Romeo and Juliet, although I think it's got a slightly better ending than hmm. uh, Romeo and Juliet came up with. Um, if only because I kind of think it makes more sense for one of the two to survive so that they can kind of pass judgment on the people that drove one the other one to their death. Because it kind of doesn't feel the same when both are dead. Do you think that Shakespeare had painted himself into a corner there? Yeah, I think he had. He looked around and he's like, oh, now nah, I don't know what to do. Everyone dies. It's <laughs> a tragedy. That's the basic rule. Yeah, that that is it, yeah. Um, so kind of taking um, Romeo and Juliet as our kind of springboard from rebellion into one of the other uh, principal themes of films about adolescence, uh, that of sexual maturity uh, or you know, kind of sexual discovery, awakening. Um, I'd say, arguably, that is the main preoccupation of the modern teen movie, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think even... It's obviously something that I think is kind of sublimated to a lot of earlier teen movies as well, because obviously try, uh, that kind of expression of... In certainly, like, movies that are about gangs or whatever, there's kind of that expression of machismo and that kind of idea of of wanting to impress girls and to you know the idea that you if you're cool then you'll be able to you know get girls and everything but you know in as sort of um standards or whatever sort of become more lax in cinema and you can get more sort of raunchy you know you get into the 80s you sort of see porkies which is kind of very sort of out out uh, very upfront about the fact that it's about people wanting to get laid um mm. and Certainly, when you get into the 90s, obviously that kind of reaches its apotheosis with the American Pie films, and then into the 2000s with Superbad, where essentially they're films entirely about people trying to lose their virginity. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a film in the 80s called Losing It. I don't With Tom Cruise. Yeah, and uh, The Sure Thing is another one, uh, which yeah. is a film I'm incredibly fond of, and one I'd recommend to anyone, even though it is quite rubbish. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, there's, uh, that film is entirely dedicated uh, to the art of losing one's virginity. Here's a question for you. It's a poser. I don't know whether this will kind of uh, lift a lid on society or just make me sound stupid. Um, but... Uh, all these films about teenagers wanting to lose their virginity, get laid, basically kind of just behave like uh, um, hot-blooded kids. Uh, it's always imbalanced towards men doing it, and the mm. the male characters are always kind of like you're supposed to cheer them on and kind of hope they get laid and all that. Um, it's never uh, told from the, the girl's perspective. Is that? Um, uh, just a reflection of our genders, uh, our society's gender imbalance. That um, if it's guys doing it, it's like, hey, it's a bit of kind of bawdy fun. If it's girls doing it, then they're whores. Yeah, I think that that definitely plays a part in it. I think it's hard to deny that there is a gender imbalance in there because essentially, when you have a film about a girl using losing her virginity, it's generally I'd say it's probably going to revolve around pregnancy at some point mm-hmm. you know I think the only the only film that I can think of that comes to mind which explicitly is about a girl losing her virginity is Juno yeah. which obviously starts with her having sex <laughs> with Michael Sarah and then having a child or you know mm-hmm. becoming pregnant and deciding what she's going to do with her child and I think that is kind of the thing I think that's one part of it is that, that there's always the risk of if they're girls having sex and there's the risk of pregnancy whereas if it's just guys just trying to get laid it's kind of just a bit of laddie fun mm. but if but also I think there's there is there is a sort of a moralising sort of thing in there which I don't think I think society as a whole kind of hasn't really moved past which is the idea that you know guys sleep around they're, they're dudes they're fine you know it's just what guys do girls sleep around people for some reason kind of get really moralising about it mm. Yeah, I think that I, that's why it's that's why it seems to be easier to, for sort of those kind of sex comedies to be about guys because there's this kind of preconceived notion that guys sleeping around or trying to lose their virginity is kind of just a laugh. Mm, yeah, that's not how I remember it. Um, <laughs> and I certainly didn't have sex with a pastry. Um, there's also <laughs> a, a kind of flip side to this sexual discovery thing is that kind of. Um, you see this a lot more in horror films the idea that uh, puberty is in itself horrifying mm. um, and kind of films that spring to mind that do that um, are well in a kind of comedic way Teen Wolf um, which uh, also proves that you will become good at basketball if you're a werewolf um, and then, great at basketball exactly um, there is a, a team called the Minnesota Timberwolves I think that's as much evidence as anyone needs really and Air um, Bud, Air Bud exactly great the great other example of that being true <laughs> yep um, uh, Ginger Snaps uh, another great werewolf kind of if you're going to if you're going to talk about a subgenre of uh, teenage puberty fear werewolf horror films then Ginger Snaps is the other end of the scale to Teen Wolf um, and also uh, Carrie is that fair as well yeah definitely I think there's obviously it starts with menstruation Mm-hmm. And you know the incredibly fucked up idea of sort of menstruation being a sign of someone being connected to the devil, mm. which um, yeah, that's a messed up film. <laughs> but yeah, and then obviously the whole her psychic powers manifest manifest themselves as a result of her sort of entering sort of uh, I suppose puberty, like a delayed puberty, and kind of 
bringing to the fore all of her sort of weird uh, psychosexual issues. Mm. Do you think uh, that? I think... Go on. I was saying, I was also, I think you can see this is something that's been commented on lots. You know, in horror films, there's an explicit link between sex and death. Mm-hmm. I think you see that obviously in, you know, Scream's kind of one of the films that really kind of points it out explicitly the idea that, you know, if you um, go, run off to have sex in a horror film, chances are you're going to die. Also, Cabin in the Woods kind of does that a little bit as well. Or um, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Byrne kind of really goes into that sort of thing. There's a whole subgenre of kind of self aware horror films that are all about exposing these ideas about you know the the idea that it's the whores that always die and it's always the virgin uh, the virginial um uh final girl who makes it through to the end because she's the only one who's kind of pure and deserves to live Mm. yeah you get that in halloween in when you watch if you watch something like scream and you watch some of those kind of more postmodern kind of self-reflexive kind of reflexive referential films and then watch halloween it seems really blatant like really blatant, um, and yeah. like it's even more ghastly. And oh, what did I catch a little bit of the other day? It was uh, the Jason Friday the Thirteenth film where they go to Manhattan, and there's just Jason a scene. Goes to Manhattan. That's the one. Um, uh, there's just a scene where kind of a couple having sex on a boat, and then just for no reason, they're kind of they're way more violently dispatched than anyone else in the film. I think Jason takes some hot coals from the sauna and like physically rams them into this couple. It's pretty gruesome. Uh, it's kind of it's a kind of weird thing. Maybe people are just fucked up. Yeah, I think you can also see that in, to an extent in um, Psycho. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an undercurrent in Psycho is that you start off with um, the the main character in bed with another man you know she's having an affair and then she steals the money and then she gets killed and there's kind of a sense that even though she at the point that she dies she's decided that she's going to take the money back there's this kind of sense this judgmental sense of that you know there's an undercurrent the idea that somehow she deserves it yeah and well I don't, I don't want to say that but she she does <laughs> and the you know her her sister is kind of a more kind of traditional good girl which is why she seems to survive at the end yeah yeah um do you think that um comedies about teenagers in love and kind of sex uh, sex comedy sounds wrong it, it just kind of sounds the word sex comedy is wrong because it makes me think of like robin asquith and confessions of a window cleaner right Whereas yeah. <laughs> in reality it's it's kind of you know just most teen movies really um yeah. do you think that those kind of teen movies work better than um kind of the sex comedy about adults for example I think it works in terms of just romantic comedies. I'm not so sure about sex comedies, but that's only because, just off the top of my head, it's I find it hard to think of that many, uh, what I would term, adult sex comedies. I could think of adult... <laughs> oh, that sounds even worse. That's even yeah. more in the Robin Asquith vein. Mm. Um, you know, I think in terms of... If you're making films about romantic comedies, as a teenager, you kind of... There's that whole kind of thing where... You know, you're experiencing these things for the first time, so you feel as if you're experiencing all these emotions more, more kind of raw and more purely than anyone else on earth. So all these kind of emotions are really outblown, and there's lots of drama about things that really don't matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of works for romantic comedies and romantic dramas because people can be kind of outsized in their actions and their emotions. And when you kind of see people in um, in romantic comedies about adults if they kind of act in a similar way you kind of think grow up you know just be just be a fucking adult about it you know you can you can something like in 10 things i hate about you 
where Julia Stiles, you know, does her little speech to um, Heath Ledger that gives the, the film its title, listing all the things she hates about him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the sort of thing that if an adult did it, you would think they were a complete psychopath. But because, <laughs> but because it's, you know, a teenage girl doing it, you kind of think, well, you know, that's what you do if you're a teenager. You are a little bit uh, unable to gauge the sort of the appropriateness of your actions or the kind of the size of your emotions. Mm. I'd say that it's very rare for sex to drive a plot in mm. films that aren't about teenagers. Yeah, I think unless it's something about I don't know, like shame or something. <laughs> shame, yeah, or if it's a film that's in some way involves kind of prostitution, kind, but then it's kind of more part of the sort of the milieu, isn't it? Really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a flip side to the kind of teen film. Um, uh, the kind of light, kind of frothy, pie-fucking um, kind of capering. Uh, there's a kind of a vein of films that's kind of has a slightly darker, one a more realistic attitude to it. I mean, the the two that kind of spring to mind are um, Kids, which mm-hmm. uh, to my mind is uh, one of the most effective and chilling horror films ever made, and uh, of kind of a more recent example, a British film called Fish Tank. Um, how do they contrast? Uh, apart from the obvious lack of pie fucking well I think in the case of fish tank there's kind of an undercurrent of I mean it's not expressly said if if Katie Jarvis' character in that is a virgin or not at the start of the film but you kind of get a sense that her kind of lusting after Michael Fassbender is kind of this new thing in her life something she doesn't really she's not really familiar with Mm -hmm. and it's kind of their sex scene because obviously he's way older than her and she's, you know, a teenager is kind of is kind of grubby, and you know, it's it's really uncomfortable and hard to watch because there's just something so horribly inappropriate about it, and obviously sort of trust issues because he's going out with her, her mum. I think, but I think it just in terms of the attitude to sex, is it treats it as something that's not kind of frivolous and to be kind of chased after. It's kind of something that's really important, and then spirals out to have, you know, sort of dire and unnerving consequences. Mm. And in kids, you know, the whole thing there, the sex in that is is literally dangerous because one of the characters, because of the the threat of, you know, HIV, which kind of hangs over everything and is really, plays a huge part in sort of the final act of the film. Yeah, uh, Kids has to be one of the grubbiest films I think I've ever seen. Yeah, Harmony Corinne uh, and Larry Clark are not the kind of the brightest uh, people when it comes to depicting pretty much anything, but, you know, Larry Clark... In particular, you know, if you see that and Bully, you know, his way of depicting sex is is not in any way sort of glamorous or erotic. It's kind of, you know, difficult to watch. Did you see Spring Breakers yet, Ed? I haven't had an opportunity to, no. Yeah, I mean, that's a kind of uh, interesting companion piece to kids. Um, and also, in, in, in the same sense, and also a very chilling <laughs> indictment of, uh, of teen culture and just how bloody out of control they are. Those girls have gone wild. Um, but also, it's great, man. I'd recommend it, uh, you know, if it gets around to your neck of the woods soon. Um, we kind of um, mentioned it quite a lot anyway, but um, high school uh, is the most common milieu for all of these films we're talking about well a majority of these films we're talking about um, and it kind of makes sense because a lot of the teenagers will be at school um, but it's very interesting how wide a range of films you can get 
set in one place in kind of one time. If you think about films set in high school, just a little list I made here, the following five films all have the same setting if you boil it down. Grease, Scream, Brick, Clueless and Elephant are all set in high school. Um, what is it about high school that gives filmmakers and storytellers such scope to tell such a breadth of stories? I think it kind of goes back to the outsized emotion thing again because you know when you're a teenager and you're kind of experiencing all these things for the first time you are drawn you 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 are kind of you know experiencing everything in a, in kind of this kind of wide-eyed way where everything is kind of like new and fresh and exciting and everything is you know sort of bigger as a result you know all the dramas and all the breakups are kind of the worst thing that's ever happened to you all the, the all the kind of the fun is the most fun you've ever had in your life and you feel like you know everything is going to um is going is is going, never going to be better again you know for you know for some people high school art is the sort of the best days of their lives and for some people it's also kind of the worst days of their lives and i think that kind of divide is also kind of a key thing because you know high school is where just so many people are sort of thrown together and from so many different sort of social economic backgrounds from so many different kind of homes that they just kind of throw up these kind of uh, different experiences and stories and opportunities for stories that I think you don't really find in a lot of other places really because you because there's just so much potential in just an average high school to find someone who has a compelling story whether it be a whether it be a funny one, whether it be a heartbreaking one, whether it be a, uh, but also you know from a filmmaking perspective, you can graft almost any genre onto those sort of things. You know you can have something as kind of upbeat and happy as sort of High School Musical, and you know you can just basically say you know we'll have them express their outsized emotions through song. You can have you know something as kind of dark and involved as Brick. You can have Elephant, you know as you say, which is just sort of bleak depiction of a school shooting um, mm-hmm. which obviously unfortunately is something that also does happen so if you're talking about sort of trying to find compelling sounds horrible but you know if you're trying to find stories that are visceral you know it's not hard to find them from sort of real life inspired by real life tragedy um, but you know you can also find but, but also the genre is so kind of fertile and covers so many different ranges that you can also have something like Mean Girls which kind of skewers loads of these different ideas of you know what a teen film is so you know it's it's something that is so vast that it eventually allows there's opportunities to kind of skewer every aspect of it and you see that in scream as well i guess Mm. um what do you think um well when i think of the teen film my the one i go to the the most often uh, that kind of encapsulates all of these themes that we've talked about is the last picture show Mm. Um, and it has that amazing uh, way that it, it, it kind of presents us with all the residents of this one small Texas town, which is, you know, this kind of ghost town, essentially. And we're presented with all the problems faced by the teenagers, uh, the rebellion, the kind of insecurity, the um, the sexual awakening, definitely, in the terms of the characters uh, played by Sybil uh, Shepherd. Um and also plays them against the kind of fading generation above them, their parents and their parents' parents who are kind of suffering for, well, kind of experiencing very, very different types of problems. Um, what do you think of as the quintessential teen movie? I think it'd probably have to be The Breakfast Club. Right, or okay. Pretty much, 
or, or just kind of that whole kind of swathe of great John Hughes directed or um, written films that come through from that era because I think he was one of the first filmmakers who really kind of intuitively understood how teenagers relate to each other in the world and how and didn't kind of treat them as I don't know as, as sort of things that were kind of only there to kind of spark off of sort of the concerns of parents he, mm-hmm. he was very much cons- uh, only interested in depicting teenagers interacting with each other and going through their own sort of personal issues and I think because The Breakfast Club has such a sort of a wide variety of people like as I was saying about high school having this being this sort of uh, diaspora of different people from different walks of life having all of these kids together who are you know different archetypes allows them to spark off of each other but also to question the idea of these kind of archetypes that people have in their mind of you know how different kind of teenagers are by saying that there's something kind of deeper that connects them all if they only can kind of look past each other's you know superficial differences and to me that kind of is sums up the experience of a teenager which is essentially that you kind of form your own little cliques but if you're ever forced to interact with people who aren't you don't usually hang out with generally i think you can find more common ground than sort of uh, uncommon ground i suppose the rite of passage is very important to uh teen movies and that's a that's a common trope isn't it that kind of um that, that phase of of um maybe losing your innocence or growing up into adulthood through teen teen experience yeah definitely because I think there's there's also kind of a recurring theme in a lot of teen movies where essentially what you're seeing is kids decide they're going to do something that sounds fun you know or that has a sense of kind of adventure but through the adventure they kind of lose something of their own sort of personal innocence as a result their own sort of uh, uh, through their experience of that particular thing you know Stand By Me is probably one of the great examples because you know the kids decide oh we're going to go and search for this body which to them sounds really cool because it's forbidden and it's also there's a sense of danger to it but by going through it they actually um you know they are sort of thrown in actual danger and they're forced to confront their own sort of past and their own lives and what their friendship means to each other and they they come out of it as kind of vastly different people mm-hmm. and i think that that's kind of a recurring thing you also see that in a recent movie jeff nichols is mud have you seen mud i haven't seen it yet no i'm a big i'm a big nichols fan but i've not seen much yet it's very very good i mean it's been compared a lot to stand by me but it also has i think it kind of really kind of harkens back to earlier than that really there's a lot of kind of uh, mark twain in it you know sort of kids out on the river kind of having a sort of an adventure with a mysterious uh a mysterious man who just kind of shows up in their lives and sort of asks them for help which also kind of has a sort of dickensian thing really it's kind mm. of a bit great expectations in that regard um and i think you know there what you you kind of get is at the same time that these two kids that meet this character played by Matthew McConaughey and they kind of um, help him because he says he's got you know he's there to see his see his girlfriend and you know they're going to ride off together into the sunset in his boat they um, they learn things about him and their perception of him is is questioned but also the main character's uh, perception of kind of love is kind of altered through his experience with him because you know he has this really idealized version of love which he thinks is playing out in his own life and that he's witnessing and then as he goes along he starts to realize that you know 
adults are more complicated than that and love is more complicated than he thinks it is mm. and you know through that he sort of loses his innocence just through having his his essentially having his worldview shattered completely uh, through all these different experiences and it's it's really handled very very well mud mud's really really great um that kind of just that kind of description and also the stand by me bit reminds me of uh, a film that was out in the kind of mid 2000s uh did you see mean creek um i think so yeah. i remember i remember it being on um, like Sky Movies quite a lot a few years ago and I'm pretty sure I watched it late at night yeah it's one of those ones it's a film that's like, so nearly really good um, <laughs> it's, but it kind of just falls away that it, it's got nowhere to go a bit like Shakespeare mm-hmm. paints itself into a corner uh, and has has no real resolution but that's about um, a group of uh, teenage kids who um, lure their school's bully out on a on a boating trip um, and they, unbeknownst to them, the school's bully is just really insecure, and you know he's kind of got his own problems. But they just see him as a kind of bully, and they take him out on this boat trip, and then they accidentally kill him, and then mm. they kind of have to make up their minds of what they're going to do about that, and that's where the kind of whole thing unravels. But that has that whole thing where you kind of see this group of kids who are like playful, and they're just being kids. Um, mm. I think we talked about the 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 childhood podcast about. Kez is great because you just see him being a kid you see him running around and hitting things with a stick and that's what kids do and when they're teenagers they go out and they're, they're ragging on each other and they're taking the piss out of each other and then all of a sudden something awful happens and then they have to try and deal with it as best they can and because they're not adults they are wholly incapable of dealing with it in, in, in a kind of adult manner and um, yeah, then the film falls apart that kind of reminds me also of George Washington the David Gordon Green film which oh, kind of has a similar a similar setup. Well, not it's not really the setup. It's kind of the thing that happens halfway through the film, mm. where you know the you know four kids are just kind of like playing with each other and they're getting a little too sort of rambunctious and the kid falls and yeah, that scene. I find that scene incredibly hard to watch. I think my great one of my great fears in films is uh, is traumatic head injuries. Yeah, <laughs> because every time because I every time I see someone basically just kind of take a bad fall and die as a result it just kind of makes you think shit that's something that could really really easily happen yeah it's one thing uh, watching kind of aliens kind of rip people's heads off because I'm pretty sure they ain't going to happen but you know I could mm. fall down the stairs and my head could come off do you know what I mean or you could slip on a bit of wet a bit of water in a toilet and then then start banging your bleeding head against a toilet, a toilet stall wall mm, yeah yeah yeah, uh, George Washington's a great film about sort of innocence lost in childhood because cause, cause also that first half of the film before that happens is, you know, it's just kids being kids and hanging out together and riding on motorcycles with um, Paul Schneider, you know, and just kind of, you know, the things every kid does. Um, but, you know, I think as as the film kind of, kind of pivots on that scene and, you know, it kind of becomes a lot more about the idea of, you know, having to f- deal with sort of incredibly adult you know incredibly uh, adult consequences of uh, a terrible accident Mm. Um, one last film I can think of that I I really like is a kind of um, coming of age film um, that also encapsulates some of those earlier themes we've talked about um, is the 2005 film Roger Dodger which have you seen Mm -hmm. it 
Uh, no, you've recommended it to me on probably about 12 occasions. Yeah, you've got to watch it, man. It's about Jesse Eisenberg, who goes to uh, New York. He kind of runs away from his parents for the weekend to stay with his uncle, Roger, who is essentially Don Draper, but in the 2000s. And uh, Roger is a kind of a womanizer, a articulate, uh, fast-talking... Uh, a sociopath really <laughs> when you boil it down um, but he's he's someone who um, is Jesse Eisenberg's character looks to teach him the ways of the world and he spends this one night with him in New York trying to become uh, um, you know learn the ways of the woman and uh, you know basically lose his virginity and it takes this you know incredibly dark turn uh, about three quarters of the way through where it turns out that not everything's as it seems and um, yeah, it's uh, that's a really good film about all those things because Jesse Eisenberg is irreparably changed at the end, but not by some horrific kind of toilet stall head caving in incident, but by a kind of um, very neat character development. And it's a really great piece that I'd watch it. Um, I don't know, we I, I think don't think it's on Netflix, but bloody watch it, Ed. That's the thirteenth time I've recommended it to you. <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, uh, we've got some. I think we've kind of wrapped up everything we wanted to kind of talk about. Uh, and again, this is comprehensive. There is literally nothing else to learn about teen movies or adolescents on film, um, other than what we've just told you. So we're just going to run down a few films that we perhaps haven't mentioned in what we like to uh, call our uh, further watching uh, bit. Um, first one I'd pick out: Days to Confused. That's the kind of the best last day of school film ever. Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I, we were talking about sort of Matthew McConaughey earlier, or I was when we were talking about Mud, you know, early there, I think he's kind of at his best, and I think there's a nice kind of contrast between him as this guy who's sort of older than all the teenagers and kind of seems to be living what, I think for a lot of the teenagers, seems like quite an ideal life, mm. which is that he essentially just kind of bums around, smokes weeds, and has sex with teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's kind of sad um, but being slash creepy film, yeah slash creepy it's kind of got these this kind of like muddle of different things but in terms of the depiction of sort of teen years I think it's got that kind of that heady rush of everyone's thinking you know oh we're going to you know we're going to finally escape high school in this shitty town and everything or hoping that they will be in some cases or you know just kind of thinking you know another year's over it's finally summer Mm. Um, and we don't, um, you know, we don't have to be in school until the new semester starts. And you know, there's just that kind of that haze of kind of drunken excitement over the whole thing. Yeah. I think that there's few films that have ever really kind of captured that that sense of just be of just kind of glee, uh, thinking you know you've got either you know sort of a couple of months of sort of freedom to yourself that you can enjoy with your friends. Or literally that sense of just suddenly looking around and thinking, right, what do I do next with my life? Which, you know, different characters in that film all kind of go through in the course of a single day. Mm. It's it's interesting you say that that's the best film that does that. It is essentially the same film as uh, American Graffiti, isn't it? Right down to the kind mm. of the time scale. It's just much better. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what other uh, films would you recommend our listeners watch? Uh, a good one that kind of covers some of the themes we were talking about earlier is um, Submarine, the Richard uh, Ayoade film, mm-hmm. which is, again is about a kid who uh, is trying to lose his virginity and it's also about a coming of age film by the end of it he's kind of fundamentally changed he also in some case, in some sense is kind of rebelling but in that kind of sort of limp <laughs> profoundly British way yeah. of, of not really rebelling against anything at all, just kind of passing notes in class 
Um, but you know, I think that's that's a film that captures brilliantly sort of that whole kind of thing of you know sort of young love and excitement, and also you know sort of personal experience, perhaps being a little too smart for your own good and thinking you know a bit too much, a bit more about the world than you actually do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Were you a bit? <laughs> were you a bit of a kind of uh, swanning around in the kind of French New Wave sense, Ed? Uh, I wish I was. I wish there was loads of. <laughs> I wish there was loads of jump cuts in my childhood, but sadly there was not. It was more just kind of, kind of kicking your heels, kind of hanging out with friends, going to like a mate's house and getting really, really drunk. I think that was that. So that thing we've just said there is a prime example of that. The actual joke that's in Submarine. It was like if this is a movie of my life, there'd be a tracking shot. But given that it's going to be quite a low budget film, we can only afford a slow zoom. <laughs> that's what you <laughs> see. Um, yeah. um, the other end of the scale because Submarine's quite a lovely film I'm going to give you a grim-ass film to watch The Arbor uh, I, I know a film that's uh, something you like it is the documentary yeah. Redefined which is a uh, trite way of me selling that film to you but by gar it's accurate uh, what's The Arbor about Ed? Uh, the Arbor is about the life and death of a young uh, playwright um, the woman who wrote uh, Rita Sue and Bob 2 Rita Sue and Bob 2 I was thinking about the Ted and Alice one oh no that that, (laughs) yeah that would be a great mashup film wouldn't it Rita Sue and Bob 2 Carol Ted and Alice (laughs) Um, and you know essentially you know she was this sort of brave new voice in in British playwriting she wrote from uh, this sort of very gritty very real um, sort of kitchen sink dramas, and you know, the, and what the Arbor essentially is is a documentary revealing how so much of what she wrote basically came from her own life on this estate. Mm. And you know, the thing that's really innovative about it is it's a documentary where the performances are acted out by the the, the testimony is acted out by actors who stand there and sort of lip sync to it and and mix the amidst the sort of action that's going on around them. And so you get this. It's kind of weird disconnect where real people are saying things, but actors are kind of acting out and giving this sort of, it's very sort of um, theatrical, sort of Brechtian uh, distancing device to it, but it's really, really compelling. Yeah. What else you got? What else you got other than the other? Please cheer us up with the happy film. Um, I'll go for Rushmore. Hey. The Wes Anderson film. What's Rushmore about? Uh, Rushmore is about a kid called oh god what's his name you put me on the spot Fisher. Max Fisher who is fucking awful at all his school subjects but is <laughs> the keenest um, the keenest uh, extracurricular activity um, student that you can possibly imagine and uh, I like to say that his plays are ones I would watch uh, mm. i pay any amount of money to go and see those at the theatre but essentially it's about him and a love triangle between himself his uh, mentor played by Bill Murray his kind of unwilling <laughs> mentor played by Bill Murray and a teacher uh, that he is desperately in love with played by uh, Olivia Williams is that right? Uh Yes, yeah. it's also an incredibly arch film about childhood. It's very similar. It's not a new thing to say to submarine in tone and feel, um, and is easily Wes Anderson's most accessible film. Do you think? Um, I I personally really relate to um, the Royal Tenenbaums because I like the family dynamics in it, but. Yeah, I think that Rushmore is a very close second. I think you had to disagree with me, didn't you, Ed? <laughs> I think it's a beautiful um, sort of evocation of, again, the as we were saying uh, about 
about Submarino, that kind of that idea of someone who's a little too, maybe not too smart for his own good, but maybe too self-regarding for his own good, mm-hmm. kind of thinks that he is perhaps better than he actually is. I mean, obviously he's not he's not a bright student. I mean, the big gag is, you know, he gets it from his desk to solve a math problem, and it's a dream because he's <laughs> not smart enough to actually do that. Yeah. Um, and but uh, you know, he's he's kind of got this boundless kind of energy and enthusiasm for things, and he wants to kind of do all of these extracurricular activities that he's uh, kind of in no way really suited to do at all and um, I think that what you kind of see in him is that kind of sense of someone who at the start of the film thinks he knows all about the world and love and but through his experiences kind of is humbled a little bit chastened a bit but still kind of retains that kind of that kind of vivaciousness that um, you, it makes him an appealing character which mm. kind of makes him there's a nice sort of contrast to him and say Tracy Flick in Election who is kind of the same thing and kind of you know is someone who's kind of relentlessly pursuing extracurricular activities and is quite ambitious but by the end of the film she doesn't realise that what she's done is terrible yeah 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 or she does and she's just a monster and carries on doing it yeah there's a fine line a very very fine line right let's have one last pick each I'm going to pick um, a film which is I'd put up there with um, one of the most likeable films of the past few years definitely one of the most likeable teen films of the last few years uh, it is the utterly charming uh, Easy A from a couple of years ago that starred uh, it was kind of Emma Stone's breakout a uh, kind of an update on the classic tale written by um, the Scarlet Letter um, Nathaniel Fawcett that's him yeah yeah, um, uh, yeah the Scarlet Letter um, and it, it kind of the whole conceit for the film is that they're trying to study the Scarlet Letter in class, and her life begins to take on elements of uh, the uh, woman who's branded a whore in uh, that book, which I haven't read. Probably shit. Um, I'll probably watch the Demi Moore adaptation. Have you seen Easy A, Ed? I have, yes. I've, I've seen it um, a few times. Yeah, I think that was the film that first made me. I mean, I knew Emma Stone from Zombieland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Easy A was the first one that kind of really made me realise how sort of great she is. She's just, like, really, really funny and really... She she handles that thing of being someone who's, like, really self-aware and is obviously kind of um, talking to the audience a lot mm-hmm. throughout the course of the film, but never at any kind of point does it feel smug. You know, it feels very... Natural. Uh, very funny. But, yeah, and very, and very honest uh, in a way, even within the kind of the conceit of... It's a film that's basically the Scarlet Letter, but also they're studying the Scarlet Letter, and it's, you know, it's kind of even more postmodern than say Clueless, which is obviously an update of Emma. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's a little more. Uh, it just kind of feels a lot kind of more natural than it should be. Yeah. And also, there's a nice kind of fun obsession with um, 80s movies in there, which I quite like because it's it kind of nods its head towards these classic 80s films, but it doesn't kind of like feel like it's just kind of copying and pasting them in the way that, say, the work of Seth MacFarlane does. Mm -hmm. Are you calling Seth MacFarlane lazy, Ed? Um, No, I'm calling his manatees lazy. (laughs) Brilliant, there you go. That's an inside baseball gag there. Um, (laughs) Right, take us home, Ed. What's the last one? Uh, The last one I'm going to go for is uh, That Thing You Do, directed by Tom Hanks. Uh, a film about a one-hit uh, wonder band called the Wonders or the Oneidas, mm-hmm. as everyone calls them. Uh, in the sort of the 60s, they have this one song called "That Thing You Do," which is a fantastically poppy and catchy song, and is actually a huge amount of fun to listen to, which is great because they play it about 50 times over the course of the film. 
And the thing I really like about it is I think it really captures the sort of youthful enthusiasm of being in a band when you're sort of a teenager and you've got all this sort of like free time and nothing really to fill it with. But, you know, you're just in love with music and you know, performing in front of people. And, you know, the the, the my favourite moment in that film, one of my favourite moments in sort of any teen film is when their song gets played on the radio for the first time and they first they kind of all hear it one at a time and each one of them kind of just completely loses their fucking mind over it because mm. it's so amazing that their songs that this song they've recorded together is going to be played on the radio and it consists of them like all the various members of the cast just basically running through the town like telling them to turn the radios on and i just think there's a huge sort of it's just really lively and hugely fun i think that it captures that kind of wide-eyed sort of enthusiasm really really well Mm. well that's your lot listeners we've given you a you know an education in adolescence and that sounds like we were just being really puerile for an hour um, <laughs> but really we've uh, taught you what's what in the world of film and teenagers on film we've also given you a fuckload of films to go and watch if you haven't seen them already go and do so and enjoy um, so yeah that's your lot we'll, the next one what's the next age of man is it just adulthood uh, yeah I think the next one we're going to do is sort of adulthood which so we'll kind of use that to cover sort of collegiate years through to sort of middle age mm, it's certainly not kid adulthood. No, definitely not kidhood. I think this one's our kidhood. Yeah, I guess so. Then we're going to overreach with adulthood. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see you for uh, a kind of the middle-aged spread, as it were, of this uh, this series of podcasts. So until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.